Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Spilling Lemonade Podcast. This is your host, Cami Nelson, back with another episode. Uh, I am just going to get right into it today. I do want to say it, today we have a very, very special guest. I am thrilled. This is actually part two of a collaboration with Emmy. So if you would like to go listen to part one on her podcast, please, please go give it a listen. She is amazing. And it was like an amazing conversation as well. Uh, without any more said, I will let Emmy introduce herself. Well, thank you for the most gorgeous introduction I've ever had. Bless your soul. I'm already starting with warm and fuzzies. Um, my name is Emmy. Uh, you might know me from my Instagram. So my handle is at im underscore powering. And I live here in Australia. I'm 22 years old. I have lived experience with mental health issues, but I'm most vocal about my lived experience with an eating disorder. I work in the mental health space, so I work with youth with mental illness, and I, I what else is a little bit more interesting about me that's not so much my, um, <laughs> what I've been through. So I love to bake. That's one of my, like, longstanding hobbies. I can love to roller skate. I've got a really cute dog whose name is Odie. Um, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I am the exact opposite of the Grinch. And I'm so happy to be here today. It's raining, so that's a bit of a downer. Um, but yeah, it's it's gorgeous to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I mean, I'm so excited to have you. And actually, one of my questions, I'm just going to jump right into it because you had said something that made me think of one of the questions I wrote down. And that was, so you had talked about that you work with mental health for your career. And I was actually curious what your goals are for the future and like what career path you're interested in. Oh gosh, you're gorgeous. Um, so actually it's quite interesting throughout high school, throughout primary school, basically my whole adolescence, I saw myself leaving school and studying medicine. So I always wanted to be a doctor. I watched Grey's Anatomy 11 times over. Um, I thought I was basically a a surgeon. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Lexi Gray was my favorite. So I'd like to secretly identify as her. Um, I, yeah, so I always intended on entering the medical industry. Uh, When I was sort of went through an eating disorder that I kind of shifted my perspective on, you know, who provides care in people's lives. And up until, you know, I had my eating disorder, I sort of saw doctors through this lens of being the only profession that really works with people and really has that opportunity to make an impact. But throughout my experience and also I, I did start to study biomedicine at university. So I studied biomedicine for three years. I sort of gained this perspective that actually doctors have very little impact on patients' lives. They spend very little time with patients um, in contrast to other medical professionals, um, other mental health professionals. And I sort of sat back for a while and thought, I think I want to have a different impact. I want to have a more lasting impact, a more individualized impact and a bigger impact than a doctor can have in a 15-minute consultation with a patient. So I sort of shifted perspectives. Um, and for a while I thought I might like to be a dietitian. So I transferred from biomedicine to dietetics and I still didn't feel quite at home there. Um, it still felt a little bit more clinical than I was interested in. So at the moment I'm studying social work. So I'm studying to be a therapist here in Australia. Um, and I work with youth with mental illness in a online setting. So it's a moderated online social therapy platform that allows people who are like sub threshold, um, experiencing mental health issues, um, who sort of aren't acutely unwell in that they're presenting to emergency, um, 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so they're sort of falling through the gaps in the treatment space, very similar to an eating disorder in, if you're not, you know, meeting that very slim criteria that needs that, you know, justifies you being admitted to hospital, then you don't get a lot of care. So I sort of work with adolescents in similar situations to access care when they're not, you know, where they're being told by everyone else, they're not quote unquote sick enough or deserving of it yet. So I'm, yeah, I'm working in the field. I love mental health. I'm so passionate about it. So they're the career prospects for now. I, that, my whole heart, that is so sweet. First of all, that you're working with adolescents and mental health. I mean, that's such a rewarding career path. And I think it's really amazing what you said about how, you know, your life experiences and your own lived experience have shifted your perspective. I think that's such a unique perspective to have and such an important one as well, because it is far more than just doctors who save lives and transform lives. And I think I just want to speak for everyone. I think when I say that the day you do become a therapist, Australia is really going to have gained another resource. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really awesome. <laughs> well, bless you. And straight up apologies right now for anyone listening, my dog in the background, he's having a, he's having a barky day. And so if you hear him, he's just adamant on being featured in this podcast. Um, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it makes me feel better. I can't hear it at all. So my guess is that it's not going through. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Already. <laughs> um, kind of taking a, a detour to just my next question, kind of like I wanted to get through a few of the really ones I was interested in is I think it's important to start off with how your journey with your eating disorder recovery has been what your story is a little bit like what it looks like of course so my story I suppose starts with OCD I struggled a lot with OCD from pretty much as early as I can remember I had obsessive compulsive cognitions in place um and I suppose that really set up the perfect sort of situation cognitively speaking for me to develop an eating disorder OCD is very much like an eating disorder in that you have obsessions, excuse me, obsessions. So like reoccurring, quite intrusive, quite daunting, anxiety provoking thoughts. And you have behaviors sometimes in the case of me, um, other times you can have something called pure O. So you have all the obsessions and worries and thoughts and anxieties, but your compulsions take less, less visible manifestations um they occur mentally so that's yeah that's pure anyway I had obsessive compulsive disorder with a very obvious compulsive element so throughout my different obsessions I had things like cleaning compulsions that was very um standard and quite stereotypical representation of OCD other compulsions I have were things like confessing um repeating certain phrases seeking reassurance lots of different things like that uh, and then things sort of shifted when I turned about like 14, uh, I was put on a medication for my OCD and I was warned by my psychiatrist at the time that it might cause weight gain and that I should watch what I eat to avoid that. And from my brain at the time, it was very perfectionistic. It was very black and white. And it sort of took that as, oh, you're out of control of your body now. Like you were in control of your body. Oh, I didn't realize that. We're going to have to take steps to make sure that we remain in control of our body. And of course, now with the insight that I have, I understand that we actually don't have control over the size of our body. And, you know, it's very similar to our height. It's genetically predisposed for the large, for a large, you know, 
the, <laughs> my goodness, we don't have a lot of say over our over our weight, just like we don't over our height is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, however, I just thought at this time that the only option that I had was to follow food rules and movement rules in order to stay, quote unquote, in control of my appearance. And very quickly that spiraled into a complete eating disorder. And that was when my eating disorder journey started. Um, I went through a lot of treatment. Um, I'm very privileged to say that I was able to access the treatment that I did, Uh, but it was still a long journey. And my heart absolutely goes out to anyone who is unable to access treatment because even with the resources that I was able to use, my recovery process was grueling. So I can only imagine what that's like trying to pave the way to recovery all alone my heart is yeah absolutely with anyone who's listening who's in that situation I am like I said 22 now so 14 to 22 that's quite some time but I'm finally at a place where I reign control over my existence and rules in my head don't I currently am completely free of obsessive compulsive disorder I have no obsessions and compulsions that rule my day And, you know, I'm going to be really transparent here and say that occasionally, yeah, I absolutely still get eating disorder thoughts or I notice things where I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to sit back and observe that thought and be like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's that's definitely not mine. However, I'm in a place now where I'm able to sit with the discomfort of doing the eating disorder behavior, even with the thought present. And I think that is at the crux of recovery. Um, It is learning to sit with that discomfort that the thought initiates without acting on it. And, you know, I'm not sure I believe in full recovery. And so I definitely believe I'll get to a place one day, hopefully soon, where the thoughts aren't present at all. But right now I'm just making peace with my present and acknowledging that, yeah, the thoughts are there, but I'm able to do the recovery actions despite them being there. And it is a such a fulfilling existence. It is so heartwarming and I'm able to do so many cool things and chase a lot of passions. And that's where I am today. Yeah, in the advocacy space, I love it. That was a bit long, but yeah. I love that so much. One of my favorite things you mentioned that I honestly needed to hear was I think it's so awesome that you're transparent about the fact that you still have those thoughts sometimes and that it's okay to just observe them, sit with them, and it doesn't mean you have to act on them. I think that is one really common struggle is, I mean, a large part of eating disorders for a lot of people is the perfectionism aspect. And so I definitely believe it's nice to admit Like I, one thing I'm very honest about is I'm not perfect in my recovery either. I have thoughts still. I have days where it's hard and, you know, it isn't the fact I can't control the fact that I'm solving thoughts. I really am doing everything in my power to overcome them and to not act on them. And I do believe in full recovery as well, that one day these thoughts won't be there at all. And I think that was really powerful of you to share. Very helpful for people and just your story in general I think probably resonates with a lot of people. There is definitely an OCD component in uh, a lot of eating disorders. I know at least for myself, I didn't know at all what OCD was for the most part. I had totally only really listened to what the media says about it until I started my mental health journey. And it wasn't actually until about six months ago that I myself was finally diagnosed. Um, And so hearing that you were able to overcome the obsessions and compulsions is actually like, I'd love to have another conversation with you all about OCD because it's, I don't think it's quite talked about enough and how honestly disabilitating it can be. Uh, And I think that's really awesome. I mean, incredibly strong of you to be able to overcome that. And your journey just 
never anything you've said so far has never failed to impress me wow me and inspire me um I mean yeah wow like go in me <laughs> oh likewise queen and absolutely here for the day that we can spill some lemonade on OCD let's do that I'm here for that conversation <laughs> yes yes thank you um so I guess that kind of leads me to my next question is when on your recovery how are you inspired or what gave you the idea to start an Instagram about recovery? Yeah, so empowering. Uh, it was a little humble beginnings. It actually started during one of my very first hospital admissions and it was a really long one. So it was like um, 12, 12 weeks. Um, and during that time, it was the first time that I was sort of separated from people that my age. It was the first time I was really able to appreciate the distance that stood between us in every aspect at that point. You know, my friends were graduating high school. They were starting gap years. They were moving overseas. They were getting jobs. They had all these dreams and ambitions in place. And my dreams and my goals and my ambitions looked very different. I was aiming to get through each meal. I was coloring in my spare time. I was talking about what my life was going to look like when I discharged. And I just felt so different and so much like a failure. And I think a lot of people resonate when they sort of get stuck in that place where your life does look different. Your goals do look different. It becomes very recovery centered and it's difficult to see that you aren't a failure in comparison to your peers. You know, your, yes, your achievements, they look different. Your struggles, they look different, but that doesn't mean they're any less. It doesn't make you any less of a person. It just means that you're on different paths. But at this point in time, I really needed connection to people that were in a similar position to me. I really needed to be surrounded by people who understood me, who were walking similar paths, who just could meet me with the level of understanding and compassion and validation that other people my age that would, you know, on different paths just couldn't quite meet. So I started a Instagram account that at the time I sort of used similar to a diary, but I also started making inspirational content, you know, inspirational recovery content as a means of creating what I needed to see. Basically, I wanted to see recovery content that encouraged me to pursue recovery that said, you know, gave people the message, myself included, that we were worthy of what we were doing, that it was going to be worthwhile, that we were strong. I wanted all of these messages underpinned all the time so that I myself had access to it, but that other people could too. And it sort of grew really organically and I didn't ever imagine it being the thing that it is today, but it did, it grew. And as I got stronger in recovery, so did the people around me and so did empowering as a place and a safe place online. And it is today one of my, it's my baby in life. It is a place where I still seek so much love and compassion and care from other people. But I also have that position of, oh my goodness, I did it. Um, I'm at the place that I dreamed of being and now I'm in a place where I'm able to give other people hope and other people light and other people compassion and it feels so fulfilling to step back and look at the fact that I'm finally standing someplace that you know teenage me dreamed of being for so long and I try not to get too wrapped up in my like dreams for the future right now because although that's so important and I love that as well I think we spend a lot of time you know, when we're in the present, in the future, and we never stop and think, oh, wow, look at all that work I did to get where I am right now. 
So I'm here and I'm really grateful for empowering and everyone that's connected me to, and I cannot wait to see where else it takes me. I'm excited to see the rest of your journey too. And I'm excited for the right now for you because your right now is pretty beautiful. And I think that story is so amazing. I mean, I love how it sounds like from what I'm hearing, I mean, you pretty much started it to help yourself. And I think that is like incredible. Like that you started that at a time to become the thing you needed. Like there's that quote that's like, I needed a hero, so I became one. And that really resonates so much with you. Like I would totally associate that quote with you. And I think, I mean, the amount of people you help now just by being authentic and vulnerable and just by putting out the content that we all deserve is so incredible. And I just always in awe. Um, Yeah, you're doing a lot of good work. Oh, likewise. And I get to connect with people like you. So incredible. Absolutely incredible. (laughs) No, literally like the best part about the recovery count is like, like today, for example, like I made a new friend with you and like the online friends and through the recovery counts I've made just like are some of the most heartwarming, like wholehearted people. So that's always fun. Oh, absolutely agree. And so glad, and not many people say this, but I'm actually really glad that not that I suffered from an eating disorder or that I experienced one, but that I was connected with so many beautiful people through it. So I wouldn't take it back just because of that aspect. The connections that I've made have made it actually so worthwhile. Absolutely. That's actually one thing. One of my next questions was like, you had, we had talked about that we were going to talk about treatment. And I was curious, what were the positives for you of seeking treatment? What were, or in your recovery in general, like what were some of, what were the positive things about it? Well, absolutely. The first thing that I, I have to say is that at the end of the day, the treatment levels that I experienced, although some of them quite like I'm going to be really blunt because I I am in that space. I am in this space, sorry. But some of them were a little bit traumatizing. And so I won't, like you've mentioned before, go into a great detail in anything that might distress somebody. But at the crux of things, medical treatment, for instance, it absolutely preserved my life. And although it was really, really harrowing and I wish it was delivered in a different way, uh, it preserved my place in this universe. And so that's a positive. Um, recently, so I mentioned on the podcast that we recorded prior, but a new residential facility opened in Australia, the first of its kind in the country. And I was very privileged to be able to access care there. And it really transformed my recovery in that it gave me the ability to do things that regular, quote unquote, um, methods of treatment in Australia don't don't actually offer. So it enabled me to eat socially, to understand what it's like to have a life outside of an eating disorder, to connect with people, to bond, to prepare meals, to be independent, to basically take your life back in a more holistic means than just preserving your life. So the recovery positives from that are just absolutely infinite. There are so many amazing things that came from that experience. I have, like we mentioned, beautiful connections now. I've met people that I will literally be friends with for the rest of my existence, people that understand me, that love me, and that are compassionate about what we've been through. So that's likewise in the friendship. You know, it's a mutual thing. We just deeply connect with one another on a level I've never experienced before. 
and other positive things for just learning so much more about myself as a person. Uh, I feel like I have the emotional maturity of a 90-year-old at this point. I think going through a lot of treatment makes you sit with yourself and your emotions and life in general a whole lot more consciously than other people have the opportunity to. Um, I actually think things like sitting down and doing a mindful coloring in is so underrated. You know, actually sitting down and being with your thoughts and being present in the moment is something that a lot of humanity seems to really struggle with. And I think eating disorder treatment forces you to do that. You are absolutely forced to sit with yourself 24 hours a day. And that is super overwhelming. I think a lot of people that go through treatment will learn that really quickly, that not having that frantic kind of go, go, go attitude and that to-do list kind of style day-to-day life is is something that I personally just found so incredibly challenging. And so learning the ability to be at peace with myself, that is another massive thing that came from my recovery. And just, oh my goodness, learning how incredible it is and how just powerful it is to talk to people and to be filterless and to be vulnerable. I will never not lead a life without vulnerability now. Like vulnerability is at the core of whatever what I do and I think it unites us as human beings and I don't think I'd ever appreciate that without the treatment that I've experienced so they're just some of the things I feel so resonated with you on such a deep level right now I could say so many of the same things from my own experience but I always one of my biggest takeaways is I honestly see the strongest quality I mean there's so many strong qualities in people but in my opinion like the one that has always stood out to me the last few years is vulnerability and how far vulnerability can take you in life and how enhanced your relationships can be with that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was, yeah, I mean, that sitting at first, that was my least favorite part about treatment was, I mean, like five minutes in, I was like, why aren't we doing anything? Like, and <laughs> <Me too. laughs> why are we just coloring? That's, I, I mean, I was so irritated as I think a lot of people are. And I think I love the perspective that, I mean, that time to really just the only thing that we worked on was ourselves. And I think, I wish people didn't have to get to a place where they needed residential treatment to get like the okay in quotes from society to just take a big long chunk of time. And the only thing you focus on is yourself and your mental health and discovering and exploring who you are. I think, I mean, self-discovery is just such a cool radical thing in your life. And I love the way you put that. So thank you. Oh, bless. Yeah, no, there's silver lining to all that. It's being able to sit with ourselves. So I definitely agree. Yes. And I don't know if you can resonate with this at all, but I actually think it's helped me get to a place where I don't think before my eating disorder, I could have ever just sat and felt comfortable with who I am as a person. I now actually have quite a lot of respect for myself as a person and much, much higher self-esteem after going through treatment and really deciding that I liked who I was on the inside. And, you know, one thing the therapist told me was that you build self-esteem by doing esteemable things. And I don't know, I just, I'm so happy I've had these opportunities, even though they had to come from the darkest of places that, you know, bright things turned out. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think I have this appreciation that life isn't about what we look like. It's about what we do. And you know, the human experience is so much more than what our bodies 
happen to look like while we're doing it. And sitting down, you can feel the full range of emotions no matter what body you're in. You can have the same conversation with a person no matter what body you're in. You can do pretty much the same things no matter what body you're in. I mean, obviously to a degree. Um, But, you know, in like the context of an eating disorder, a certain amount of weight isn't going to make you life more fulfilling. It isn't going to make you have deeper conversations, more insightful dreams. I don't, you know, like there is so much more to the human experience than the vessel that we carry and live it out through. So that wasn't very articulate, but um, I'm so grateful for that. No, I mean, you say it wasn't articulate, but it actually was like, it took me like a step, like just to listen to it and just think like, you're so absolutely correct about all of that, that, you know, society tends to give off an impression that what appears is what life is. But I think it's like humanity and humility and heart all lies within our soul and our heart or inside of who we are. And I think so much more to life than, and then what you can see with your eyes. I mean, I remember I used to have this thought where like, this is a really crazy thought, but it kind of relates, um, really side tangent there. I have like a chronic illness and with part of that, it's possible I will go blind eventually. And so I used to have, uh, it's only like a small possibility, but that is part of the illness I have. And, um, I used to imagine myself like, can you, when you're blind, you're not even going to be able when you're blind, if you become blind, you're not even going to be able to see your body. Like if you put all of your worth and all of your beauty into your body, how are you going to feel if the day comes that you can't see it? Like, I don't know for me, just that possibility of thinking like, no, like, because that's not where the beauty is. The beauty is within inside me. I don't know if that made any sense, but. <laughs> no, oh my goodness. It is absolutely, it made ev- all the sense in the world. And I think it's so beautiful. You said, you know, I actually really like the person that I am. That's something that really stuck with me as well. And I think certain compliments, I really, really feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Someone said that they really liked how happy I was yesterday. And I thought that is the best compliment that I've ever received. And no matter what body I'm in, this soul is the same, no matter what body I'm in this happiness is the same and that's what's important to me and I know that I value that more so why why would I live my existence in conflict with that value and be constantly at war with myself to look a certain way when I know deep down that's not what I value and that's not what other people value and I don't want to get to the end of my life like you said if I was in a similar position to you and I knew that there was the potential that I might not see life forever you know you'd want to make sure that you were living life forever in in alignment with your values. And I I know that it's been in my recovery too to kind of think if I wasn't here on this planet next week, for instance, would I be satisfied with how I live today? And a lot of the time, no, all of the time in my eating disorder, I would have said no. And I don't want to be telling myself that if I really was given that kind of time limit, oh my goodness, I didn't, you know, live in any way in alignment with how I wanted to. I didn't do any of the things I wanted to do. I didn't connect with the people. You know, I don't want to come up against that reality. I don't want to have that kind of regret. And although recovery was really hard, reminding myself of that, that was something that really helped me through. It's just, I'm doing this to live the life that I want to live. It's uncomfortable now, but I know I'll be more uncomfortable having gotten to the end of my life and having not lived like this. So yeah, that's definitely something that powered me through. 
Oh, snaps to that. I love <laughs> I love that. That's yeah, I mean that's excellent. I don't even necessarily have anything to add to that. I just that exactly. Um no, I love that by the way. Your your essence is so pure. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's actually just reminding me. That's like I agree with the part that compliments about personality stick so much more than about per appearance or about like genuine things. Like one thing I've learned since my mental health journey is I always like to post like comments I used to leave on other people's. I just be like gorgeous, beautiful, stuff like that. The one comment I always leave that stands out to me now is I'm like, your personality shines through this photo or like your smile's radiant or like, you know, bless your soul or something like that. Like just to remind them that I like to put it out there that like there's so many more, I don't know, like compliments like that have always stuck way more with me than, um, you know, comments just about the vessel that I live in. And I love that. And I actually only have, I would say, one more question that I really want to ask. Yes, um, far away. Yes. Um, okay. There's two left, but I'm a little bit down on time, so we're going to have to choose one. Okay. That's okay. How, <laughs> thank you. Uh, how, what are some of your tips, I guess, for how do you sustain recovery on the harder days? Like, what is, what keeps you going? Something that to this day is what I remind myself is that, I can do a lot even in discomfort and I can have eating disorder thoughts and not act on them. I can be anxious. I can be really low. I can be guilty. I can be riddled with all of this kind of all sorts of discomfort and I can still do the recovery thing. Um, I think learning to sit with the discomfort is really preserving my recovery and learning that it's okay, that there's no moral value to discomfort just like you know happiness isn't morally superior to sadness it does feel better let's be honest um but if we didn't have sadness in our life we wouldn't nearly appreciate happiness the way that we do so learning to sit with every emotion learning to be at peace with every emotion I think that's really recovery preserving much of my eating disorder was spent trying to run away from feeling badly in any capacity and I think that only reinforced how how uncomfortable I was emotionally in the bigger picture. So learning, yeah, sit with myself, be compassionate with myself, hold space for myself and be gentle on the harder days. That's what drives me, but also a deep connection to my why. Why am I doing this? Why did I start this journey? You know, I wouldn't be here at this point if I didn't at some point decide that the life that I was living was not the life that I wanted to live. I didn't get here by accident. I intentionally thought, no, I need to do something different. And so, yes, this is uncomfortable, but the alternative is worse. Um, And I don't think any way is pain-free, but I think that the pain in recovery is serving a bigger purpose. It's serving a more rewarding purpose and it's going to end eventually. I think the pain that is, you know, experienced during an eating disorder is much more enduring it is one that doesn't really have an end and the only piece that you're going to be offered that's sort of lasting is the one that recovery offers so it's reminding myself that that you know yeah it can be really hard some days excruciatingly hard but I think the alternative is harder in the grand scheme of things and we've done a lot we are resilient we have faced so much there's nothing that today can offer that we can't face 
just reminding myself that and little self-care things too. Like my favorite thing to do is be compassionate with myself. If I've had a hard day, I want to sit down on the lounge. I want to eat my favorite meal. I want to feel comfort that way because that's allowed and definitely really helpful for me. And I want to do things that nurture my inner child. I want to watch something that fills up my cup, you know, even if it means watching Tangle because that gives me warm and fuzzies instantly. Um, I also cope by just being around people that remind me how much I love being alive and connecting, doing things like this, connecting with another soul that gives me so much passion, so much purpose, and just kind of rejigs my reasons to recover because I couldn't have this with an eating disorder. And just, yeah, being really in touch with all of the things that make me realize that recovery isn't, isn't, you know, not doing recovery isn't an option. If I want a life like this, I've got to do it. So yeah, that's what keeps me going. Emmy, that was so wonderful. Like, I just, that was so refreshing to hear. And so both motivational and inspiring and raw. And I just, wow, that was, you are a very excellent speaker. Um, I'll stop it likewise. (laughs) I I feel a little bit bad because like a solid third of both of these episodes are just going to be us like complimenting each other but I think that just shows how kind of a soul we are and you know how intertwined our journeys have been and stuff and I'm so excited for that so not really oh, yeah. apologizing yeah exactly capture our authentic energy I love it <laughs> yes um with that said we are nearing the end of the episode so without is there anything else anything at all a closing statement anything you'd like to add that you'd want listeners to hear get to know I think the thing that sit sat with me really deeply when I was in a hard place was knowing that irrespective of what my struggle looked like it was valid and that I deserved it deserved to recover at that point there is no one on this earth that has to get worse before they get better it doesn't make your recovery a more deserved one. It doesn't make your suffering a more valid one. It doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you more lovable. You know, you where you are today, this can be the start of something brand new, no matter where you are, no matter if you're a day into your eating disorder or 7,000 days into your eating disorder. Today can be the day that transforms your life forever. And you deserve that. You deserve to do the recovery thing. You deserve help, even if external sources of validation don't don't agree with that you know don't give you the sort of help that you deserve um I think it's really difficult when we're in a place where we're not being given that validation externally and if we can try and give it to ourselves internally you know that can be a really really helpful thing although it's difficult to do um but yeah I just want anyone who's listening to know that you are inherently worthy that you are sick enough no matter what you're going through or what it's looked like, that recovery is possible for you, that, you know, no matter how far gone you are, no matter how early into your eating disorder you are, it doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, when you're 90 years old and you're sitting in that nursing home, hopefully um, having lived a really full life, you know, done all the things that you wish to do and you've got family and connections and you engaged in every holiday and every birthday and, when you're in that place, you're not going to sit there and think, gosh, I was always in my eating disorder longer. Well, gosh, I wish I didn't recover. I'm so regret that. Um, so just connecting with that when on the days when, yeah, that internal dialogue is telling you, no, 
get sicker or, you know, just one more day won't hurt or I'll relapse one more time. You know, that's what you want now. Uh Uh-huh. That's what the eating sort of wants. And I know that that is always really strong and feels like what you want. But no, I always do say honor your 90-year-old self and honor your five-year-old self. Do what they would do. And I know that at the end of your life, you'll be satisfied. So, yeah. Ah, okay. Love that closing statement. With that said, I just wanted to say thank you all for making it to this point in the episode. Thank you for listening. I really, really hope you benefited. I know I benefited and I hope you benefited as well. I hope that whether this was a distraction, some inspiration, some motivation, it served you today. And I hope to see you at another episode. Oh, definitely. Thank you.